Okay, I think we're <clears throat> we're ready to uh, look at our study. We're considering the final message from heaven to the church. Uh, every time I think about this thought, um, I, I try to get inside the mind of God and understand him by what he has to say as it might relate to my personal experience. When I think about things that are important, when it comes to the people that you love, if, uh, if I were about to die and I gathered my close friends, my family nearby, the thing that would be uppermost on my mind would be what would be the most helpful to them for me to say. And if I was writing a book to people that I loved, the very last thing that would be on my mind would be uh, maybe the most important thing that I could think of that would be a benefit for them to think about uh, in giving them the book and my final thought for them. That's how I understand the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. You have the final words of Christ as he's hanging upon the cross, the seven sayings of Christ. And those are some of the most important words you could ever study in your life. It's the things that the Lord Jesus said on the cross of Calvary. And some of the most important words you could ever read are the last two chapters of uh, the book of the Revelation. Because here again, with the same force of thought behind these two chapters as you find in the seven sayings of Christ from the cross, this is how we're supposed to think about it. Another thing is um, the church comes back into the context of the whole book of the Revelation, it begins as a message to the church, the seven churches which were in Asia. And then beginning at the fifth chapter, actually when you get into the sixth chapter, you have the tribulation period and you have the 21 judgments of God upon this world of Christ's rejectors. Um, you have the seal judgments, seven of them, the trumpet judgments, seven of them, and the vile judgments, the seven vials. And those are the 21 judgments that are going to come on this world. But the church is not here during that period of time. And so the 19th chapter of Revelation um, are the final uh, insights that we have concerning the tribulation period. Then in the 20th chapter, you have... Um, what happens at the end of the millennium, which is the white throne judgment. And then in the 21st chapter and the 22nd chapter, it is addressing the church again. And so again, the reason from the sixth chapter to the 19th chapter, you have no mention of the church. It's because we're not there. We're not here on this earth because we've been raptured out. And so 
I've spent a great deal of time in teaching this series on the book of the Revelation, which has gone for several years now. Um, I've tried to uh, show you the proofs out of Scripture that the church is going to be taken out before the tribulation period begins. And so we studied quite a bit out of Ezekiel 38 and 39, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. There's just a number of passages that we looked at that are biblical proofs that the church is going to be taken out before the wrath of God is poured out from heaven. And so as we come to this final chapter, um, another thing to keep in mind is the only way you can really enter into it is have a basic knowledge of the whole Bible. And fortunately here in this church where people have been faithful to come to the church, uh, there should be uh, a, a pretty good and cultivated Bible knowledge beginning with Genesis all the way to the book of the Revelation. We've been studying this book for a long time. And so what I've tried to do is put together a big picture of what is uppermost in the mind of God as we read this revelation. And so this past Wednesday night, I tried to uh, develop some of these thoughts a little bit more because when you begin the book, when you begin the Bible, the book of Genesis, um, the first personality that the Lord wants us to be acquainted with is uh, Satan. He wants us to know something about him as a personality. And so this past Wednesday night, I talked about it a little bit. How does sin actually begin? I mean, this is the problem. God never uh, designed that sin would enter into the world. So how did it enter into the world? Well, I've tried to help us get a real understanding of something that, to me, is more basic and fundamental than any other thought you could ever have as you study the Bible or go through the, the Christian life. And that is believing 100% what God has revealed about himself. If we do not get that understood in our mind, what God has revealed about himself, then we will enter into this conversion war that is described in the Bible of trying to convert God into some personality as we conceive him to be. Big mistake. Big mistake. There's only one reference point for knowing the truth about God. And it's the truth that he has given us himself about himself in this book. And we're not to add to it. We're not to take away from it. And so it's that kind of thinking that helps us understand the original sin. And the original sin was not with Adam and Eve. That was not the original sin. The original sin was with Satan as recorded in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. 
And those passages explain to us, and I don't want to go into a, a lot of detail o about it, but I think it's so important to tie in with this final chapter. Um, the Bible is very clear that Lucifer, Lucifer was a created being. And he was created during the days of creation, which were six of them. There are six days of creation. I don't know what day he was created in. Uh, Dr. Henry Morris uh, tends to think that it was probably sometime in the third day. It, it was maybe when he created the, the stars because interchangeably with the stars, which we typically think of as the hosts of heaven, the host of heaven really personifies the stars. And the angels are maybe as plentiful as the stars. I don't know. But there was a, a heavenly host of angels that God created. And God created them. And there is not one word anywhere else in the Bible that God created anything outside the six days of creation. In other words, there was nothing created prior to. There was no space, time, and matter prior to creation. That's when space, time, and matter entered into the universe. And prior to that, there was no time. There was no space. There was no matter. God created it out of nothing. And, uh, and it's just amazing to, to think about these things and to discover all throughout Scripture, sprinkled all throughout Scripture, how that creation is a mirror of everything that God is in such a way that you can study creation and know him, even his eternal power and Godhead, to the extent that we're without excuse. And so creation is the work of God. Jesus Christ said, if you believe not me, then believe me for the work's sake. What did he mean? Well, it was not just the miracles that he was performing. It was a work of creation. If you believe not me, then look at what I do, and then you can see that I've told you the truth about me because no one could do this but me. Uh, I was looking at a little documentary the other night, my wife and I, about hummingbirds down in South America uh, is where they're, they, they primarily come from. They fly all the way up here to eat ever so often. And, uh, and it was showing uh, video of their wings and it was in slow motion. And those birds have joints in their wings in such a way that they can tilt their wings when they fly. It's very unusual and different from other birds that cannot really tilt their wings. But it's like uh, the prop on a plane. Uh, you, can, you can turn the, the propeller and it, it pulls or it'll push, it'll do whatever by just tilting. Well, God has designed the hummingbird in such a way that it can... It can be perfectly still. It can go up, down, sideways, it, like a bumblebee. Bumblebee's another thing. It's, it's amazing for somebody to think that that evolved. Uh, it's like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Metaxas that preached here one time many years ago. What was his name? Winston Mazakis. What? Winston Mazakis. Winston Mazakis, yeah. 
He said, a person that doesn't believe in God is like a person that's been dipped three times in supreme idiocy. <laughs> I'll, I'll always remember that statement. That was so uh, humorous at the time and, and so profoundly true. Dipped three times in supreme idiocy. A person that doesn't believe in God is a fool. And God himself said that. And so, anyway, um, let's go back to what we were talking about, get back on track, uh, Lucifer. The whole Bible is really about God's original plan to create man in his image in such a way that we will be one with him, one. Well, the essence of God is his thought life. In the beginning was the word. If you want a, some kind of grasp or handle on what it was like with God before he created the universe, then the deepest insight you'll ever have is what God gave us of himself, and it was his thought life. <clears throat> the eternal word and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us but in the beginning was the word was the word and so if, if God created us in his image then that was the primary goal why? for fellowship it's a God is a rational being. He's a thinker. He's the philosopher of the universe, which means love of wisdom. He is wisdom. He is made unto us wisdom. The whole Bible is about the wisdom of God, the mind of God. And we're created in his image, and he wants us to be like him so that he can fellowship with us and enjoy sharing common interests. Now, folks, isn't that really the way we are, even in our humanness on this earth? It doesn't take any time to bond with somebody if they are interested in the same thing you're interested in. If it's horses, if it's cars, if it's guns, if it's archery, if it's going camping in the mountains, uh, fishing, you've got an instant conversation that will bring you together when you share things in common. God created us this way because he wants us to be, he wants fellowship with us. He wants to commune with us. And he wants a union with us which is the opposite of what happened in the Garden of Eden when Eve sinned and became separated. She wanted independence. God hates independence. He doesn't want independence. And we hate it too. Have you ever had a good friend that all of a sudden got upset and then they weren't a friend anymore and they went off somewhere else? I, I remember those days uh, when it would break my heart uh, and most of us have been through, you know, the process of dating somebody. You know, that's our nature to uh, to want a, a boy meet a girl, a girl meet a boy, and and it worked just great for a period of time, and then all of a sudden something happens, and it's it's gone. The uh, uh, the relationship ends, and it breaks your heart. And, and you'll go through the experience, and I think the Lord allows us to experience these things, especially at least with boys, it was with me. Uh, I couldn't even eat. When something like that would happen, and somebody that you were close to, uh, all of a sudden something happened, and you weren't close anymore, it, it would make you sick to where... You didn't even want to eat. 
And I've seen boys like this. I've seen boys in our school that would have a girlfriend, all of a sudden they'd change their mind and want to go with somebody else. And the boy would, you know, just be so downcast. Go out to the lunchroom, put food in front of him. No interest in the food. Why does God allow us to experience these things on earth? Why? It's so that we can identify better with his emotions because he's a person. And he feels just like we do. But God never loses anything. In that relationship, it's our loss. You can't really take away from God and you can't add to God. That's what Revelation 22 is really teaching us. If you reject God, he doesn't lose anything. His sorrow and his brokenness is for you. It's not for himself because he's selfless. We better understand that. Everything about God is for us. But we cannot take away from God. You can't hurt God like the man who lost a child and drowned, a little kid. I, there's a man I knew when I was coming along. He was a welder. And my dad and I, when I was just a little, little guy, I went with uh, my dad out to the welding shop to get a plow welded. And uh, my daddy tried to witness to this man. And he was a big guy. He had big forearms, big muscles. He looked like Samson to me, at least in my imagination he did. Powerful man. And my daddy was sitting there trying to witness to him. And, uh, and the man, his name was Ray. He, he told he, dad, he put his hand up like that and he said, Marshall, it's my daddy's name, Marshall. He said, uh, I know what you're trying to do. And he said, I'm not angry because you're trying to witness to me. But he said something that I'll never forget as long as I live. He said, Marshall, I willed never to get saved. And I heard those words, and I couldn't hardly take that in. And my daddy, he was speechless. It was startling that somebody would say that, that I have willed never to get saved. And daddy sat there almost paralyzed as well as myself too wondering well why would somebody ever say something like that and then he looked back up and he said the reason is because my first child little boy um, got out of the house without us knowing it and there's a little pond down near the house and the little boy went down there and went into that pond and we got to noticing that he was not in the house and we went out looking and I found him in the pond he had drowned and he said I was so angry with God I willed to never get saved and he says Marsha, you're not doing something wrong to try to witness to me. But this is my, my position. I will never get saved. And the reason is because he had a, a hostility toward God because he believed that if there is a God, God had the power to prevent that from happening. Sad thing is, a lot of people never go to church enough to learn 
how God really thinks and why he does allow bad things to come into our life. Because you see, excuse me, you can't have that oneness with God that he wants if you've got other loves that are more important to you than him. And that's what Matthew chapter 10 is all about. Uh, it's what Luke chapter 14 is all about. If any man love his, his mother or father or wife or children or yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The Lord has to be first. And if he's not first in terms of our appreciation of all that he is, then the loss is ours. It's not his. And when Ray said, I'll never get saved, he was trying to punish God. You can't punish God. You can't punish God. You can't hurt God. You can't take away from God. All you can do is destroy yourself. That's all you can do. If you could diminish God in any respect, he would not be God. This is what I have learned in studying the Bible. You cannot add to and you cannot take away from God because he is God. But we can lose everything. That's why the Lord said in Luke's gospel, I can't remember the chapter right now, I've got it somewhere in my notes, uh, to not fear those that can kill the body. But he said, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him that after he has killed the body, has the power to cast our soul into hell. He said, I say unto thee, fear him. Well, it took me a lot of years to really come to an understanding of exactly what that meant. But the one that I am to fear more than any personality in the world, in the universe, is me. It's the old man that is in me. The old man, Dwight Creech. Fear him. Because he has the power with his free will to think evil thoughts toward the truth. The way, the truth, and the life we have the capability of doing that, and in doing that, in trying to convert God into the kind of God we want him to be, we're destroying our own soul, even attempting to do this. And so this takes us back to Lucifer, and the reason I'm spending some time on this is because there's so much there. And the only way we'll ever learn this is to go back and visit this a number of times, and we probably will. But when Ezekiel 28 says uh, that God created Lucifer, uh, let me just turn to it because uh, Ezekiel 28, let's, let's put our eyes on it because it'll, it'll help us. Um, to do that. Verse 12, we'll just start reading there. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes, 
was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Now, there isn't one creator. Paul develops that in Colossians chapter 1. He's the one that created everything, visible and invisible, for to be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And so there's no question about the fact that Jesus Christ is the only creator, and he created Lucifer. It's very important to understand that. Verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. In other words, God created him with a purpose, with a ministry. He does everybody, you and me. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And so those stones of fire represent, you know, the uh, omnipotence of the universe. Fire has to do with energy. Uh, heat has to do with energy. And God is, is teaching us here that he is the energy of the entire universe. He is the essence of nuclear fission. I mean, we, we know about nuclear fission as, a, as the greatest power in the universe. And we've sort of tapped into that. And when we, you, you tap into that, you're tapping into what Paul meant when he said, and by him all things consist, or held together. Consist means held together. Well, we've learned in science that the universe is held together by electrons, neutrons, and protons. And, and God has seen fit to allow us to discover something of the essence of the fire, the heat of the universe. And it's him. And it's one of the reasons I've explained in previous messages why the lake of fire is the lake of fire. Why is it the lake of fire? Because fire is symbolic of God being the energy of the universe. And so if Lucifer thinks that he is God, if man is going to exalt his thought above the thoughts of God, then he has to believe that he is God, he knows more than God, he can do better than God, and so God says, okay, I'm going to put you right in the midst of the energy of the universe. And if you think you're God, control it. The lake of fire is really giving man what he thought he could do. And that is control the energy of the universe. And he will burn forever in torment because of that one thought and conclusion. If there's anything to fear in life, don't fear Satan. Fear your free will to believe him and to think like him. And so I want to take you into what I believe is the essence of the fall. The essence of the fall. What was it? What was it? What was it that would cause Lucifer to look at God in all his holiness and perfection and rebel against him and exalt himself above God and desire to be the one in control, uh, what would it be? Well, the essence of it is free will. And I'm telling you the most dangerous subject in the entire Bible is the power of the free will. And what we can do with our free will, we can actually choose to question God or not believe him. 
and, and reject what he says about himself, which is the biggest mistake you'll ever make, is rejecting what he says about himself. And so God created the angels with a free will. We know that because Lucifer uh, used his free will to convert God in his mind from what God said he was. And what God said he was, he said in the very beginning, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Lucifer says, he's not the truth. I told Eve that. He said, he lied to you. I know he told you that in the day you eat thereof, you surely die, but you, that's not true. You will not surely die. So Lucifer called him a liar. That welder that had that anger about the death of his son did essentially the same thing. Called God a liar. He doesn't love. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love my child. Sometimes the Lord allows horrible things to take place on this earth to test us. It's a fiery trial to test us. So that the depths of this wicked heart of ours that's deceitful above all things can be exposed for what it is. And we can discover we don't, we don't really love God as much as we love ourselves. We don't appreciate his word as much as we appreciate our word and our thoughts. This is what the whole Bible is about. And I'm telling you, you cannot understand Revelation chapter 22 if you don't understand Genesis chapter 1 through 6, chapters 1 through 6. I can't understand it. And so what was it that caused Lucifer to rebel? I'll tell you what I think it was. I believe that he thought that if God was going to create man in his image with a free will, but that he would suffer the wrath of God if he thought different. That Lucifer thought in his mind, well, that's not a free will at all. It's not a free will at all. He's creating a robot. Because if I have no choice but to think the way he does, and I'm going to suffer the wrath of God if I don't, and that's not free will. And I believe that's what caused the fall, was that kind of thinking. But let me take it a little bit further, because you've got to go a little bit further to really get a handle on this. You have to understand what truth is to get this right and to understand the, the foolishness of Lucifer's thinking. Truth, now listen to this, truth is one. It's not two. Truth is one. Right is not right and something else right. It's one right. And God is the only one that can tell you what is right. He's the only one that can tell you what is true for all time and eternity. And, of course, the antithesis of right is wrong. The antithesis of good is evil. Anything that is not one with the thoughts of God is a lie and is evil, and that's what sin is. But you see, you can't have it two ways. 
You can't have God who is the truth and allow somebody else to come along and say what he said is not true. My thought is really true. You can't have two truths. The day that you allow that to happen, you have two gods at war with one another. And that's the battle of the ages. This is the conversion war that has been going on since the beginning. It's Lucifer saying, I'm not going to be your robot. The day that you say that you're not going to be his robot, listen, God did not create us to be robots. He created us to use this free will. And come now, he said, and let us reason together and let me help you understand what truth is. I am the truth. You're not the truth. Apart from me, anyone who tries to be me, apart from me, that's idolatry, and that is sin, and it will destroy you. And I have created you with a free will because I'm offended by the concept of a robot. I don't want robots loving me. That's not love. If I created you without a free will and I programmed you to love me with no choice whatsoever but to do it, that is a robot. But God created us with a free will to choose to love him, and as parents, we've experienced that very emotion. When your child or when your wife or your husband comes to you with no reason whatsoever... But purity of heart and says, Daddy, I love you. Of what value, of what glory would that be if they were programmed to do it? If each child was born with a button on their back, just like a toy, and you pushed the button and it said, I love you, I love you. There's no glory in that. There's no majesty in that. But I'll tell you the majesty and glory of God. that He created man in his image with a free will. And we can take that free will and we can look at all that he is as he has revealed himself to be. And we can tell him from our own hearts, with our own free will, I love you. And that's what God is looking for. Communion. Union and communion. He wants that for our sake. And to do anything other than that is to deify ourselves. And that's what Lucifer did. He exalted his own will above the will of God and conceived a lie. And the lie was all he wants is a robot. And if I'm conformed to his image, the way he's telling all of those that he's created in his image, that we're going to be conformed to his image, and that's what he really wants. Lucifer looked at the whole program and he says, well, all he's doing is creating a universe full of robots that are going to end up being just like him. Folks, that is a devil's lie right out of the pits of hell. The truth is, this world doesn't have much of an understanding of who God is. The whole Bible is about the identity of God and getting it right. 
And I'll tell you what, anybody that lives on this earth and changes him by adding to what he said or taking away from what he said in such a way that he becomes the problem, that is an understanding of the deceit of the human heart and how desperately wicked such a thought could be. And the thing that is startling to me is that the Lord would have to say it for us to think about it and discover the truth of it. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. I don't know what you've gone through in your lifetime in the way of disappointments and trying to understand why God would allow this to happen or allow that to happen. I don't know, but what Adam and Eve were broken over Cain, their first child that was born, decided to manifest in himself in his view toward God that Luciferian spirit. And he hated God. He sure did. And his countenance was fallen. And he killed his brother Abel. He was a murderer. But isn't that what the Bible tells us? Isn't it what the Lord said to the Pharisees in John's Gospel? Chapter 8. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And it was the spirit of Lucifer and Cain that called him killed a brother. So folks, God is not trying to create robots. Even using that term in our thinking is evil to the core. But I think if we study this book and we see him as he is, you will discover that Jesus Christ is so amazing in terms of his love and his innocence, his holiness, his mercy, his grace, his selflessness. I love to just say it. I love to just say it. And I've discovered these things in this book. This is where you learn this truth that you're hearing right now. It's in this book. And we do not want to add to it. And we do not want to take away from it. And we need our children in this church to hear these things. We need people in this church that ought to be here this morning. Hearing these things. Sure should. It's a huge mistake. Huge mistake. We come here to this church and we sometimes we get to looking at one another with such familiarity we lose our appreciation for one another. We got 46 people that come down here and work every day at this church. We need to love one another as Christ loved us. The leaders in this church, the deacons, need to be here. Hear these things. Need to be at the meetings. We need to be witnessing these things. And the reason is because Christ is in this place. He comes to all of these meetings. And he's here to teach us. 
And so sometimes our eyes get fixed on the, the pastor or the Bible teacher as though somehow or other our loyalty is to them or they want it. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Lord said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst, and it's him. We come to these meetings because of Christ and for no other reason. We can't even help ourselves, let alone help somebody else. It's only to the extent that we take this book and this message from this book and communicate it to the world that it's going to benefit anybody. And that's the truth. All of us are going to be dead here before too long. We're going to leave this world. But this book remains. This truth remains. And God has given us a little window of time to teach it. And to understand it. And to embrace it. And to love it. To love it. I'm telling you that this book as the days go by in my life, more than I ever have before in my life, I, I wonder where would I be if I did not know this book? If I didn't have this book, what would I be thinking? How, how would I be living? What would I be doing if I didn't have this book? This is everything. And so when we leave this world, and it's the Lord has got to come soon. I, I got a text from my boy John this morning, and he'd been watching some news thing about the homosexual movement, and it's global. Dad, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. The, and he said, the Lord has got to be coming soon. The Lord has got to be coming soon. He's absolutely right. Lord, he's going to come soon. And I think when we're standing in his presence, you're going to find out that what you're hearing is not going to be any different. Because it's in the book. All you got to do is read it, and you'll see it. It's in the book. Well, I looked at my watch in time to stop on time. <laughs> so, uh, well, this is good. George is messing from. Heavenly Father, dear, we thank you as you've given us time to think about these things. And we pray, Lord, that we will not leave, the, leave us behind as we go out, but we'll keep it in our hearts and ponder it every day. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for that book that. It's there for, our, for us. It's a, a guarantee that you will do what you said you will do. And we can look it up and read it, and we can know for a fact that it will happen. In fact, it's already happened. We pray, Lord, that you would just bless this day, bless this word, bless the singing, bless everything that we do, and thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.